Are you ready to free the body and free the soul? Join Dr. David, the cutting edge doc, as he guides us on today's journey. Here's Dr. David. Welcome, friends. Welcome to another edition of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. I'm your host, Dr. David, the cutting edge doc. And here on Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul, we do in depth interviews with individuals that are doing cutting edge work, especially in the areas of healing spirituality, and social transformation. I'm particularly excited about today's show. Our guest today, I hope I'm pronouncing your last name correctly. Is your last name, is your name pronounced Michael Teo? That's right. Exactly, David. Okay. That's so our, our special guest today is Michael Teo. He's a young man who I have been following for many years. Oh. He, he is... Um, He's a millennial who's accomplished more in his short years, number of years on earth than most of us will have accomplished in our entire lifetime. And he's done it with grace and uh, tremendous amount of maturity and dignity. And I am very excited to share Michael with you. Michael has recently co-authored a book that I know he'll be sharing with us today that he's very excited about. But uh, one of the reasons I'm particularly interested in this interview is that I um, not only want to share Michael with you, so you get to know Michael and to share his work with you, his current work, but as many of you know, as I get older and I'm looking more at simplifying my life and I'm looking at legacy issues and I'm looking at how I want to leverage my impact these days, I'm finding myself more and more interested in connecting with and participating with creative, inspiring millennials. And Michael certainly not only fits that bill, but I think he's uniquely qualified to help people who are not millennials have a greater understanding of millennials about uh, so that we can interact with millennials in a way that brings out the best in ourselves and brings out the best in millennials too, because I uh, am firmly convinced that as millennials mature in many ways, that if they can bring out the best in themselves, that uh, our world is going to be in very wonderful hands. And so with that as an introduction, welcome, Michael Teo, to Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. Thank you so much, David, and hello to all of you listening to this right now. So, David, as you mentioned, thank you so much for the introduction. I am humbled, and really, you are too kind. All of you are too kind to have given me this opportunity to share my two cents worth of my experiences with you. So, to give you a little bit of background about myself, so I'm currently based here in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Though my origin, my place of origin is at the northern regions of Malaysia, which is Penang. It's a beautiful touristy island with a lot of colonial buildings. And I grew up most of my life there until college. And then I furthered my university to New Zealand. So being in New Zealand has taught me a lot about appreciating nature. While at the same time, I had the opportunity to experience learning from people of different cultures, especially after participating in conferences organized by Harvard University, Stanford University, and then 
subsequently in SEAD. And David, you know, I really want to thank you for this opportunity again, because the main question today, aside from me sharing about this exciting project I'm working on, which is a book that I co-authored called The Potential Matrix, which technically talks about millennials as well. We have interviewed the world's most high-achieving millennials. These are people below the age of 40, depending on which side of the world you're getting the definition from, but we're going to go into that later. So we interviewed all these most high-achieving people, young people around the world, to understand what makes them tick, to understand what were some of the strategies and ideas that they have used to find their purpose, make a meaningful contribution to society, and also to measure their impact. So a little bit about that later. But you mentioned something, David, and I believe to all the listeners out there, that really echoes with me. How do we appreciate or how do we unleash the potential of our millennials? Now, this is something that not only myself, but I need to give credit to my company. So I'm the founder of Thriving Talents. We are a talent development company. So we design and develop seminars, workshops to help Fortune 500 companies to get their top management understand the millennials. So I believe today's discussion is just spot on, where we have worked with the world's largest companies, coach, various CEOs to actually understand how to attract the top young talents to join their business, to join their cause, to join their NGO. How do we actually retain them? And then how do we grow them? So that the goodness of the world, the meaningful contribution of the world is no longer shouldered by the wiser generation. <laughs> Just one of the things that my team and I always say, we do not want to call people old. We do not want to call people senior. We would always acknowledge that those who came before us, you are all the wiser generation because there's so much for us to learn. And I believe that is the first key because once you think that the generation that came before us are the wiser generation because like it or not, they did see the world before us. They have experienced much more than us. And when we put them as the wiser generation, it automatically opens up our mind to be more appreciative and respectful of their ideas. So we coach CEOs and we work with companies to design seminars and workshops and conferences to get them to understand the millennials. And today it is just an exciting topic which I'm going to share with you some of our proprietary models, which we have used, or I would say suggest, for companies, for executives, for entrepreneurs to master so that they could work better with the millennials and make their millennial talents more productive and profitable for their business and their lives. So I'm very excited to be here, David. And hello again to all of you from Malaysia. Very good. So before we get into that, I, I'm i hearing an echo, Michael. Is that on your end? Um, no, no echo at all. Okay. All right. All good. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So before we get into that, I want to get into a couple of other things. One is I want to give you a chance to tell your story in a little more detail in terms of uh, kind of where you came from and whether you, from the, you know, from the time you were very young, eight, time you were very young, did you have a, a sense of your destiny or did you have some very formative influences when you were young? I'd like to give you a chance to tell your story a little bit. How old are you now? I'm 29. Okay, so you're 29. You're actually 
right, going through your Saturn return astrologically right now. So <laughs> that's very interesting. So the other, and the other thing I'd like to talk about is the fact that on one hand, I agree with you, it's important to respect uh, your the elders. wiser generation. Your <laughs> elders, and it's important to respect and have a an appreciation of history to understand uh, what has gone on before you so that you can maximize your own joy and your own contribution. On the other hand, I know that um, the world that the older people are leaving you is a very mixed bag that uh, is full of a lot of challenges, to say the least. And I know that I that part of what a lot of millennials are dealing with is a tremendous amount of anger. Some of it is obvious and some of it is more suppressed and repressed. Um, anger at the older generations for what they feel is the problems that they are being, that the millennials are being left with. And uh, how have you dealt with that challenge yourself? And how do you help millennials to constructively deal with that kind of anger and frustration? And how do you help older people to interact with millennials in such a way that it brings out the best in the situation? So if you could address uh, those two things before we start talking about the details of your current work, I think that would work really well. Fantastic. All right. So if I may start, so as I've shared, I was brought up in the little island town, or island state, I would say, of Malaysia called Penang up north. And I was raised in an average to lower income family where my late grandfather used to serve in the army uh, on behalf of the Malayan army. So during that time, it was during the 19. 40s, 1950s, you could imagine where Malaysia during that time known as Malaya was a form, was a British colony. And my late grandfather used to serve in the British army and then it became the Malayan army against the communist insurgent. So he's pretty much my own personal hero and has taught me a lot of values that I hold until today. And then my grandmother, who's still alive and well today, she loves me, I love her a lot. Uh, she was a rubber tapper. So she and my late grandfather had to raise six kids, and one of them, obviously, is my dad. Now, my dad grew up in a situation because his family was poor. We were all poor. My late grandfather would be away fighting the war, and my grandmother would be tapping rubber, and she had to raise six kids on her own. And my dad had to quit high school because he was the second eldest in the family. So he had to quit school, and he went on to become a an assistant in a ship. So what happened was he would always send money back every time when he, he gets his pay so that his other siblings could go to school and they then furthered their studies to university. Now, obviously, because my dad sacrificed his education, uh, he didn't manage to finish his education and he didn't manage to enjoy the life that, would, that he would have if he would have completed his education. However, what he didn't know was that experience molded him and that gave him a very important value which he passed down to me, which I'm going to share in a few moments time. So coming from my dad, he went around the world working in a ship, sailing around the world, and then he met my mom. 
And my mom was this nurse who was this gynecology nurse. So these are the nurses who assist doctors to welcome new babies in the world. And they made such a sweet couple. You know, my, my mom also came from a poor family as well in Penang in the northern states in Malaysia. And then they met and then they had me. So what happened was when I was born into this family, of course, my dad and my mom decided where they're going to leave their previous career and start a new life with a new baby in hand. So my dad and mom started a tuition center. Now, a tuition center is basically a school that is organized after hours. So in Malaysia, typically, if you are a student, you would go to school from as early as 7 a.m. every day, and you would end your school by around 1 or 2 p.m. in the afternoon. And that leaves you with a four to five hours time during the whole afternoon for you to do your homework or to do things. And one of the things that my parents did was that they created this mini school, which we call a tuition center, and kids would actually go to their tuition center to get further education. Now, the interesting part, just to share with you, David, and to all of you listening to this right now, when my parents started their business in the late 1980s to the, year, the late 1990s, during that time, it was the golden year of tuition centers. Reason being because a lot of parents were sending their kids to, to tuition center after school so that their kids would do better in exams. And that's because Malaysia, we adopted the British education system, meaning everything is about the examination marks. If you don't do well in exams, you're pretty much doomed, or that was what they thought. So what happened was I grew up in that environment where since I was a child, my parents would bring me to the tuition center, I'll be in the cradle, and then I would grow up at the age of three to four years old, I would be taking the broom, sweeping the floor of the tuition center, you know, helping my parents to clean up because they couldn't afford a babysitter and um, they were, I, I was a little rascal, I would say, when I was young and uh, they couldn't leave me at home. But what happened was I realized that at that time, subconsciously, something started to develop in me. You know, I see students, I see teachers all the time and I developed this interest to want to teach. I developed this interest to want to educate. And my late grandfather, even on his dying bed, he would share this advice to me. He said, Michael, dedicate your finest hours, dedicate the best time of your lives to educate people because you can be the richest man in the world, you can be the luckiest guy in the world, but there's only one thing that could change a person's destiny, and that is education. So I was actually embedded with this philosophy all my life. Now, one of the other interesting I wanted to share with you, David, and I'm going to relate this back to my points coming up later. When my parents started the tuition center, it was the cheapest tuition center in town. Like to a lot of eyes of business people who were in their industry, they ridiculed my parents, they mocked my parents because my parents would charge such a low price to actually have these students attend their tuition. And the reason being because my dad and my late grandfather at that time believes that the education that we have can change our lives. So why are we not making education affordable and accessible? If we're in this business to really give education, let's live up to the words and let's make it accessible. So I grew up in this environment. And then just to share, uh, today, fast forward 20 years then, you know, I run my own business right now called Thriving Talents, as I've mentioned earlier. I've co-authored 
a book called The Potential Matrix. I've worked with Fortune 500 companies across 39 countries. In fact, one of the interesting things, a milestone I would say that I've personally gone through, is that I've had the honor to actually do a workshop. Like I was giving a speech, I was conducting my seminar in the presence of President Barack Obama himself when he came to Malaysia. And I thought that that was amazing. I mean, if we were not any good, they wouldn't put the president of the United States uh, in front of us when we were doing our workshop. So then again, I wanted to bring that out because now let's go backwards in time. I was not like that. When I was growing up, you know, despite growing up in a teaching environment, I was a very shy boy. And since I was young, I actually had difficulty in doing sports. I tend to have shortness in breath, if I would say, and I, I tend to have difficulty in doing sports so much so that during that time, I often get bullied and isolated by my peers just because I was not good in sports. Like if you can imagine in a school, a kid, the sense of association, the sense of, I would say, recognition is important to be recognized by our peers. And I would often be secluded. I would often be sidelined from football teams, from the basketball teams, because nobody wanted me to be part of their teams. You know, there was even a joke going around saying that if you have Michael Teo in your team, you are going to lose. So what happened was I was often bullied in, in school. Now, that was my life when I was in primary school. Now, as I moved up the ranks, I, I went to secondary school. Now, when I, when I was in secondary school, I thought the bullying would stop, but it didn't. In fact, it got a lot worse. Uh, reason being because when I was in primary school, it was a single sex school. So we had all boys. It was an all boys school. But when we move up to high school, it was a what we call a co-ed school. So that means it's a mixed gender school. So you now have girls. So it's the, uh, the, the birds and the bees, right, for the first time. And um, I start to see that my peers were taking advantage of the situation to now bully me so that they would look great in front of the girls. And those were really trying times. You know, I was beaten up in school uh, and I didn't dare tell my parents when I went back home. My parents actually thought that I was becoming a gangster. I was in a mob or something. And instead of me getting beaten up, I was I, I was beating people up, you know, but that wasn't the case. So at the age of 15, I decided that enough is enough and I'm going to participate in my national school sports day where I'm going to win the first race in my life. And I practiced for months, for two months, actually. And then what happened was on that day, I decided to participate in a 100-meter sprint. Now, I thought that I could win the first race of my life, and I would have hoped that this was a happy ending, a Cinderella or Snow White story where happily ever after, you see. But that didn't happen. Um, I took a first step. And when I took the second step after the whistle was blown, I fell. And during that time, I heard a voice that echoed across the field that literally changed my life. And that voice came from my coach who said, Michael, don't get up. In my mind, I, I couldn't understand this logic. You could, you, you could have read any motivational books. You could see any movie. At the end of the day, the hero always wins, God willing. But what happened was during that time, my coach asked me not to stand up and I was confused. I was in excruciating pain and I thought, what's going on? And then the moment I looked down on my leg, that was when I noticed, for all of you listening to this right now, 
if I may, I'd like you right now to just touch your left knee. Just, just put a sensation right there around your left knee. Just touch it, just give it a soft massage. Now, I want you to now grip your left knee, all right, that, that little bony structure right there. Grip it, and then I want you to imagine that bone, that left knee of yours, being out of your body. That's right. My left knee was dislocated. So what happened was, it was panic across the field. But then, instead of people trying to help me, I don't know, maybe I was that unlucky at that time, people started booing me. And people started laughing, they started jeering, they were making jokes that I can't even run a 100 meters sprint. And during that day, I woke up with a motto in life. And that motto of mine is, no longer will I wait for opportunities to come. In fact, I will create my opportunities. And after since that day, I would participate. I was in a cast for four months, but after that, I would participate in business competitions. I would participate in public speaking, in drama, and I would dedicate my life to coach other young people so that they do not get bullied, so that they do not get looked down upon by their peers, and that they're able to unleash their potential, their talents to the world. And to cut a long story short, that was when I witnessed my renaissance, where I was basically growing. And as I grew in my work and I started clocking in again, David, you have been so kind where you have shared with me about uh, some of the accomplishments uh, that I've had. You know, I've won a competition around the world where I spent an entire year across 22 countries. This was in the year 2011 to actually visit 22 countries and work with governments, businesses and NGOs on developing young people. I've had the great opportunities to meet and learn from great global icons like Sir Richard Branson, Professor Yunos, former Secretary General of the United Nations, Kofi Annan, Archbishop Desmond Tutu. I've had the great opportunities to work with some of the most exciting companies in the world, visited them, learned from them like Google, Facebook, LinkedIn, Yahoo. I mean, life has been great. However, when I came back from my world trip, and I was offered this great job offers with a lot of pay, that was when I started thinking, what else can I do? When I entered these companies, I saw that a lot of young people, they have so much talent, but they are not unleashing them out. And that was when I dedicated myself to say, you know what, let's, let's do something to help bridge the gap between the wiser, or I would say elder generation, and the younger generation so that both generations could click to produce results that both generations want for the collective good of the company, for the collective good of society, for the collective good of the country, and then hopefully the world. So that was the drive behind me being Michael Teo. Okay, that's fantastic. So let's address the second question i have and that is yes. that you know the gener the world that the millennials are being left with is yep. tremendously challenging there's a tremendous amount of things that are not working well a tremendous amount of cultural breakdown and certainly the older generations have at least some partial responsibility for the unworkability that the millennials are being born into and um, 
I could understand how it would be easy for a millennial to have either a resentment toward their elders or to have a mood of resignation or a sense of, uh, I might as well just live for today because there's nothing we can do anyway because the world is going to hell in a handbasket. And I could see that there could be this... Uh, this anger and this mood of resignation that could really cripple the higher potentialities of of millennials and also of relationships between millennials and older generations. And uh, I was wondering if you could share if you've had to deal with that or your experience of helping other millennials to deal with that or helping older generations to reach a higher level of consciousness in terms of their relationship with millennials and to uh, create some kind of uh, forgiveness around all that and understanding. I would really love to hear your thoughts on that. Definitely. Thank you, David. Well, I'm going to share with you an experience that was actually very unique for me. So the year was the year 2010. And I was giving a speech in front of 1,800 people in the Excel Center in London. And during that time, that speech was covered on CNN. It was a huge pop across London. And they had luminaries, like I've mentioned, Sir Richard Branson, Kofi Annan, Professor Yunos. They were all there, including Jamie Oliver as well, the uh, famous chef. Now, what happened was, before my speech started, there was a ceremony. And you can imagine we were in this fancy theater and during that time, the mayor of London was Boris Johnson and he gave a speech. He was quite funny. And then what happened was they brought in these kids who were like five and six years old. Now in the room, you have 1,800 young leaders who have flown into the UK for that specific event from all around the world. These are the who's who of the millennials, of the generation Y, if you would say. These are your future prime ministers, presidents, CEOs, managing directors, entrepreneurs, social activists, celebrities, you name it. Now, what happened was it was quite interesting. Among my peers, we were on average, we were aged around mid-20s. So we were all mid-20s. There were 1,800 of us. It was great. Now, when these five-year-old kids came into the ballroom, they started singing to us. And we thought, oh, well, what a cute performance, you know, seeing kids from a local elementary school and they were singing to us. And then later, this legendary rock star, Sir Bob Geldof, came out of the curtains. He went up to the mic and he said, you know, oftentimes, and this is what I understood from what he said, oftentimes, the millennials tend to blame the older generation for all the bad things that we will be leaving behind for them. And everyone in the, in the hall cheered, you know, they agreed. Yes, we are pointing the fingers at the elder generation who's going to leave this polluted world for us. However, Sir Bob Gildov then alluded us to look at all these five to six years old. And then he said something very profound, which I remember until today. Sir Bob Gildov said something in, among the lines of, you, young leaders, in your 20s now, in your prime, are going to be responsible for the world that you will live behind for these children behind me. 
So if you think you're going to point fingers to my generation, obviously we know that Sir Bob Geldof is in his 60s. If you think you're going to point fingers in my generation of how we have failed you, why not look back at yourself and make sure that you will not fail that upcoming generation who is going to inherit the world that you will create. And I thought that was profound. As much as being an activist, as much as there are campaigns around the world, as much as there are young leaders in our society who rallies up young people to go up against establishments or to go up against the elder, senior, older generation, I always believe that the younger generation would also need to be aware of our responsibility and accountability. Being responsible for the future generation that we would be blamed if we leave them with a world that is not livable. And if you come back to the point, are the older generations to be blamed for the world that we millennials, especially right now, just to share with you, all listening to this as well, in Asia, the Asian demographic is getting younger. We're going to get more and more millennials joining the workforce. We're going to get younger and younger CEOs. We're going to get younger and younger people being promoted to influential positions in our society. It's inevitable. It's the cycle of life. However, the interesting, now, the interesting point now is instead of us pointing the finger at what our elder generations have done to our world, why not think about fixing it? Now, I have to give credit where credit is due. There are a lot of initiatives right now. You talk about green technology. You talk about financial technology or what they call fintech. You talk about renewable energy. You talk about heavy investments and attention being given by world governments towards encouraging young people to become entrepreneurs so that they could think of new ways of how to utilize our earthly bound resources more efficiently. Right now, the elder generations are giving us the support which they believe are appropriate and would be able to support our ideals. I think it's a very self-defeating position if we as the millennials would just sit down and point fingers. I believe we are empowered. I believe that we have technology. I believe we have already the awareness from the elder generation to provide us with opportunities for us to help them to fix our world. So the one thing that I'd like to share this out for all the millennials listening, I know that whatever I'm sharing is shifting the blame from the elder generation to ourselves, but don't think of it that way. Think of it as a challenge. Think of it as whatever we do today that is good, that brings immense benefit to our society, would leave our world in a better place. And we would complement, we would repair, and we will improve on the trust of the efforts that have been given to us by the elder generations. So that would be my thoughts and my point of view. Okay, thank you. What do you think are some of the greatest strengths and potentials of the millennial generation? And what do you think are some of the potential blind spots and weaknesses of the millennial generation? Great. 
Well, personally, I think for the millennials generation, the first thing we have to admit is that for the majority of us, we are, of course, are more technologically savvy, where we are born in the age of the iPads and the iPhones and the smart tablets and the smart TVs. These days, we no longer need to hail a taxi on the street. We could use Uber, for example. So I think we, were, we are born in this age where we are more attuned to technology. And what I mean by attuned in a sense where we would be more flexible and more open to adopt and use new technology. So I think that's the first benefit of being a millennial in a general, all right, in a general uh, explanation. The re reason why I say in a general explanation, because for the elder generations, I too, upon working with top executives with companies, also find that there are elder generational leaders or people that are more technologically savvy compared to the millennials. Because if you can imagine, as an elder, if you hold a high position in a company, you will be earning much more than a fresh graduate, which is made out of millennials, right? So because you have a higher disposable income, you'll be able to change your technological device faster. You'll be able to afford to buy new apps that are launched in the app store. But then again, that's only a small portion of the population. The larger population still attributes millennials as being technologically savvy. So I wanted to just give that real practical perspectives to all of you right now. Now, the second point I would say, the millennials, we are often described as being lazy, where we want the quick way out. We want to do things on a very simple manner. We want to use the least work. We want to do the least effort for the most maximum of results, if you can imagine that. So some leaders would say that millennials are lazy and millennials are looking for shortcut. However, I'd like to open our perspectives to think that the second benefit of being a millennial is because we're exposed to so much of knowledge and information. It's just a Google away. It's just a Bing away. And we can connect with mentors like how I'm connecting with you right now, David, and to all of you listening. It's a pleasure. So technology platform has allowed us to access different data, has allowed us to access different information and learn trending knowledge, the most up-to-date knowledge right now. We no longer need to wait for a book to be produced and to be shipped to our neighborhoods or country. We can just immediately get it online. So what has happened is we have conditioned ourselves to always think about new ways to do things. And oftentimes these new ways to do things will result in us finding new ways to cut time, to reduce costs or reduce our work effort to achieve that same result or even better results as compared to the elder generations before us. Right now, the third benefit of being a millennial is I would say millennials, especially here in the Asian culture, we are starting to become very creative and we are starting to become very expressive and innovative at the same time. Now, why is this the case? Now, if we look back in history, I'm going to go back in history to give you a perspective of Asia. All right. So in Malaysia in particular, in this part of Asia where Malaysia is, for those that were born in the baby boomers or the Generation X era. So these are people born before the year 1980. So if you were born before the year 1980, you are typically on average considered a Generation X or a baby boomer. 
Now what happened is that during this age, you, if you could recall, the world has just suffered two world wars and they're recovering. In parts of Asia, we have just recovered from the communist insurgent. We have just recovered from the Japanese invasion. So what happened is there were a lot of destruction in Asian countries. And because of that, Asian countries had to rebuild fast to actually sustain the livelihoods of their citizens. So what happened was we opened our doors to welcome foreign companies in. And during those years, in the 1960s, 1970s, 1980s, up until the 1990s even, there were a lot of manufacturing companies coming to Malaysia, coming to the parts of Asia right here. Now, when they come into these parts of Asia, they set up their factories. They were producing your telephones. They were producing your television sets. They were producing your VCR. So they were producing a lot of things, especially coming from Malaysia, Indonesia, Vietnam. And what happened is during that time, the Generation X, those that were born before 1980, are the main workforce. Now, can you imagine this, David? And to all of you listening to this right now, can you just imagine? You're working in an industrial age. You're working in a manufacturing factory. We do not need your ideas. We do not need you to share how are you going to improve on the manufacturing works of this office, especially if that company is a foreign company. What we need you to do is to just follow standard operating procedures, SOP. You're not supposed to to question. You're not supposed to share your ideas. If you want your job, just be good at doing these repetitive things. And again, just to bring you into perspective, as I've mentioned, we are recovering from a world war in uh, Asia, in parts of Asia, especially here in Malaysia, we're recovering from, we were recovering from the communist insurgent. So during that time, our grandparents, who are the baby boomers, would tell our parents, the Generation X, to take care of the rice bowl. That means if you have a job, guard it with your life. If you have a job, give your, offer your prayers, give your prayers to God every night that you have that job. Be grateful. Don't jump around. Don't try to be smart. Don't overrun your boss. Just do what you're being told. Now that's fine. Everyone is taking care of that family rice bowl. They cannot afford to lose a job. However, if you look at the Generation Y and Generation Z, which are the millennials right now, they are mostly born after the year 1980. Generation-wise can be defined on average as people born from 1980 to the year 2000. And Generation Z, which is the next one coming up in the workforce, are people born from, from the year 2000 until now 2016. Now, what is really interesting here is that because our parents, the Generation X, were brought up in a way where they have to protect their rice bowl, they have to be extremely grateful for their job, the one thing that is now in their mind is they want their children, the Generation Y, to live a better life compared to them. So oftentimes, the Generation Y tend to be a little bit more spoiled. The Generation X parents would want to provide everything to the Generation Y. Now, bearing in mind, this is during the 1980s, 1990s. In parts of Asia, the world has enjoyed the longest time of peace without counting the wars in the Middle East and whatnot. But if you look at Asia, the world has enjoyed the longest time of peace. There were no world wars. So what happened was the Gen Ys or the millennials growing up in that era couldn't really experience. We may not even understand the feeling of living in a war-torn country for a majority of us. 
because we didn't have to go through it. And our parents would want a better life for us, so they would often provide us with all the assistance and all the help that they can give us. So I thought that these are actually some of the points. Now, what happened is, I'm coming back to my third point right here. I haven't sidelined, don't worry. What happened is because the Gen Ys, these the millennials, we were brought up in a very different way compared to the Gen X and the baby boomers that we are now encouraged to be creative. We're encouraged to be innovative. We're encouraged to be more expressive, which is why you see a lot of the world's youngest multimillionaires and billionaires are now in their late 20s or in their early 30s. Look at the founder of Facebook. Look at when Bill Gates or Steve Jobs, when they founded their respective companies, they were all allowed to live in an age where they are more expressive, where they are more creative and innovative. So because of that, I believe that has now added towards the advantage of being a millennial. That is, we can be seen as being a little bit more creative, innovative and expressive compared to all the previous generations before us. So that would be the three key features of a millennial, I would say. Now, of course, when you ask me about the blind spots, what are some of the blind spots of millennials? Now, because millennials were brought up in such a comfortable era, there are no major wars, we are encouraged to express our ideas, we're encouraged to become entrepreneurs, we're encouraged to become innovators, that oftentimes what I've heard from our own work with Fortune 500 companies and with parents even, we heard that their comments was their millennial staffs are not showing them the respect that they deserve. In a sense where they find that the millennials are actually losing touch with our culture, with where we came from. They're actually also losing touch in how does it feel like to be persistent during time, during challenging times, how to be strong during difficult moments, which is why you could even see on a global average that the highest rate of suicide comes from the millennials. That's because when the millennials are faced with a difficult situation, they were not brought up in a war-torn era. So they have not really gone through hardship. And for those who just went into emotional depression, they broke up with their boyfriend, they broke up with their girlfriend, you'd be rather shocked that they would take their lives because they're not exposed to that pressure. They're not exposed to that hardship that our forefathers and our parents have gone through. So I believe that's the blind spot right there where millennials may be spoiled and millennials may be forgetting the roots of where we come from. And as a result, well, people could challenge me on this, but as a result, millennials may have become a little bit weaker when it comes to taking pressure. So this is what we're trying to do in our company. We want to bridge the gap between the top management and the millennials, and we want to expose the millennials to the realities of working their first job, their the reality of working in a corporate setting, working with elder leaders. So that's my take on it, David. Thank you very much. Um, one thing I wanted to share, and then I'd like to get your comments about your response to that and how it relates to what you've already shared, is that my observation of the millennials is that one of their blind spots is that because they've grown up in a virtual soundbite kind of reality that's divorced from the natural rhythms of life, 
Right. Many do not have an appreciation of the amount of discipline and practice and focus that's required to go from an idea to a successful or masterful manifestation of the idea. And um, I'm wondering if you agree with that, and if so, how you either have addressed that in your own life and or how you assist other millennials to address that issue and also how you address, how you help um, people of influence in older generations to uh, interact with millennials in a way that that doesn't become a, a final stop in the relationship. Great. Thank you, David. Well, I do agree with you, actually, where I find that a lot of millennials are actually glued to their computer screens. They're actually glued to their smartphones and they're always interacting with technology. And oftentimes, if you see millennials do that because they find that their peers are all online, their peers all are just like them. So they could easily communicate with another millennial across the world and they share the same interests. So that is what's happening. Now, when you talk about how do we then get the millennials to be more connected with the real world, I believe a strategic intervention needs to happen. And oftentimes this strategic intervention needs to manifest itself in the physical form. Now, let me give you an example. A friend of mine, one day he was showing symptoms that his kidneys were failing him. He had these symptoms. He got very panicked. He couldn't concentrate and work. He was flipping off. He was actually, he, he even wanted to divorce his young wife. Now he's young too, right? He wanted to divorce his young wife because he felt that he has no more future. Then what happened was I asked him, you know, he sat down, he was all depressed and I asked him, have you gone to a medical checkup? And he, he was crying and he said, there's no point going to a medical checkup because I know my kidneys are failing me. And I thought, how would you know that? And he said, I checked on the internet. <laughs> I looked out on like websites on the internet, you know, and, and they were saying that I was showing these symptoms. And I was saying, you know, have you consulted a doctor? And he said, there's no need to consult a doctor because I have been reading on these symptoms on sites that have been claimed to have contributions from doctors. I'm, I'm dead. I'm dead. I'm now thinking about what I'm going to do next. And what happened was I challenged him. I said, you know what? Finish up your coffee. Let's go see your doctor right now. And, you know, he's struggled. He didn't want to do it. And then I even offered to pay for his medical bills. So in the end, we went to a doctor, and the doctor did some blood tests, diagnosed his kidneys, and the doctor just smiled at him and said, you know, you're just perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with you. And he said, but, but I felt pain at my back, and the doctor asked him some question about his bed. And that was when he realized that there was something wrong with his bed, that the spring broke on his bed. So that, you know, when, so when he was sleeping, every morning when he wakes up, he would have a backache. So the doctor just recommended him to change his bed. Now, can you imagine if that friend of mine had not detached himself from virtual reality? That friend of mine had not leave the trust that he has established in the virtual reality world, come out to the real life and seek the consultation of an actual doctor. He would have flipped out. I mean, he may have ended up in a divorce 
So if you think about it, I think this is one of the examples that was really prevailing for me, where young people, some millennials whom I meet, when I ask them, you know, who are your mentors in life? And they couldn't answer. And I asked them, why couldn't you answer? Because they said, you know, if we want to ask anything, we ask the internet God. And I said, who is the internet God? And they would say, that's Google. We just ask the internet God and the internet God has everything. And what happened was I shared with them, you know what? Google has everything. We, I admit it. I use Google every day. But there is still that sweet spot that when you have a mentor, a mentor, a living human being will be able to empathize with what you're going through and will be able to provide you advice that is really personal to you. So I find that that's the realm of collaboration in which the elder generation can indeed work with the younger generation. Now, in your next uh, sequence of questions, David, you, you actually ask, what are some of the works that we have done coaching top executives and companies to actually help them breach the gap between the millennials and the elder generation. So right here, I'm going to share with you a model that my company, Thriving Talents, have used in our training. And that is called the RACE model. RACE. It's called the race model. All right. So it's our proprietary model. We're very proud of it. And we have actually used it on many companies. So what is this R-A-C-E? R stands for respect. A stands for adaptability. And C stands for communicate. And E stands for experience. Respect, adaptability, communication, and experience. Now, why is this important? We have seen when a millennial goes to work or when a millennial starts something new, they like recognition. In fact, I tend to disagree with that. I think everyone likes recognition, regardless of what age you are in. However, we find that the, the, in the world, the company with the highest retention rate of millennial employees are often companies who have leaders who acknowledges the contribution of this millennial employees. For example, if the millennial employees was there to actually provide an idea of the product improvement or service improvement, their veteran leader, their own elder leader would show them the respect that they deserve. And I thought that that was magical because at the end of the day, I believe the number one conflict that would create a bigger divide between an elder person and a younger person is the lack of respect. And respect often comes from the mere feeling of acknowledging, of giving recognition, expressing your appreciation to that younger talent. And because as the elder generation, as the elder leader, once you have expressed your appreciation in the form of respect to that younger generation person, that younger generation person would have no choice but to repay you back. We call this the law of reciprocation. You know, so they will repay you back and they will start to respect you as well because you respected them. All right. And then we move on to adaptability. Now, for adaptability, we have always advocated for top management and for the elder generations. If you really want to work with the millennials, be open to adapt to them in a sense where know that when a millennial is sitting in your office playing with his phone, 
Now, you are assuming that that millennial is playing with his phone. He's scribbling through his touch phone, touch phone screen. His, you know, he's reading intently. And you'll be thinking that, you know, what is this guy doing? He's using company time to play with his smartphone games, to play with his computer game. What is this? But one incident has occurred when the elder executive thought that his staff was playing, went over, scolded his staff, only to find out that his younger staff was actually using his smartphone to read up on newspapers. And when the elder generation executive asked his young staff, why didn't you buy the local newspaper? Why didn't you buy the physical newspaper? And then the younger staff happily replied saying, well, I am saving the company money. So you can see, I believe if the elder generation is able to adapt and see the perspective of why the younger, younger generations are using certain tools, certain technologies, we will come to a better appreciation of our working relationship. Now, I'd like to give one more mention right here. It is not enough for the elder generation to adapt to the younger generation. The younger generation would also need to adapt to the elder generation. That's extremely important. That means the younger generation would need to be trained to look into the perspectives of the elder generation. I'll just give you a quick example, just a fast one, okay? I work with a top company right here in Malaysia. It's public listed. And when I talk to their millennial staffs about their boss, who is in his 60s, the millennial staff would tell me that they think that their boss is stingy, that their boss would count every single cent that goes out of the business, despite having being their company is one of the largest companies in the manufacturing industry in Malaysia. It's public listed. Is trading billions of dollars every year. Now, when we went over to the elder boss, who is in his 60s, and we actually shared with him the feedback told to us by his employees, he flipped. He, 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 he said that, you know, he started blaming that his younger employees didn't know that when he first started his business 50 years ago, he was pushing an ice cream cart across the village trying to sell ice cream. He was living in poverty. There were days where he didn't have any money to buy food. He did not eat for three days. He only drank water. And then he said, you know, the millennials have never gone through that. How dare they say that I'm stingy? Of course I'm stingy today because I know every single cent can make or break the business. And then we asked that elder boss, we said, have you told this story to your millennials? And he said, why no? Why should I? So we saw that there was a divide. Now, this leads us to our third, uh, if you remember the RACE model. R stands for respect, A stands for adaptability, C stands for communicate, where it's also very important for both generations to communicate with each other about your expectations, to communicate with each other about your story of why you started or the reason behind what you're doing. And lastly, E, R-A-C-E, E stands for the experience. We believe that if you want to attract, retain, and grow millennials, you need to actually give them a good experience working with you. And oftentimes, millennials these days, based on one of the latest reports published by Deloitte, the global consulting firm, it's called the Deloitte Millennials, the Deloitte Global Millennial Survey, excuse me, the Deloitte Global Millennial Survey, you can go check it out. They found out in their survey across 7,900 over millennials across the world that millennials now view monetary rewards as secondary. A priority for them is, are they going to grow when they start working with you? 
So it's very important right now for the elder generation leaders to play a role as mentors, to play a role as coaches, to play a role as the nurturing cheerleader of the company to motivate and cheer the millennials so that they continue to contribute to the companies. So in our work and our service to these big companies around the world, we would actually do workshops, we would do forums, we would do reverse mentoring where we get both top management who are of the elder generation to actually work on simulations, work on case studies and business propositions with the younger millennial staff. And we find that that's one of the ways for them to experience firsthand of how it feels like when the, generation, the generational gap has been bridged. So there you go. Beautiful. Uh, one thing that is really present for me right now that really struck me as you were speaking, um, especially your story about the kidneys and the doctor, is that I think it would be very valuable to have young people learn from a young age the, the potential benefits of virtual reality and also the pitfalls, potential pitfalls of virtual reality as compared to uh, reality with a capital R, actual, actual reality. And if young people can be educated in the beginning to see where virtual reality can fit in into the bigger picture of reality with a capital R, that could be one of the keys to unleashing the, uh, the best of the millennials. I agree. I agree. In fact, I believe that is where we find that there is a synergy between the elder generation and the millennials. Because the elder generation, of course, throughout the years, you have seen a lot of things in your lives. Now, the millennials, as I mentioned earlier, they are more technologically savvy. So what happened is why not we combine the best minds of both worlds to create a solution which can be assessed via virtual reality, as you've mentioned. But as they assess these solutions, they are given a perspective of how it is like in the actual reality with the capital R. So I believe there's a very powerful synergy right there. And I believe that this synergy can be forged once, again, the RACE model is used, either during your communication, during your management of your millennials, where you show them respect, you are adaptable to their needs, you communicate your expectations to them, and you give them a great experience for them to showcase what they can do, vice versa, the same applies to the millennials. If you want the elder generations to give you more opportunity, to give you more trust, to give you that mantle so that you could now help reshape our world in the best image that you see fit, you would first need to also give your respect, your acknowledgement to the elder generation of what they have gone through and to recognize them that they can still contribute their invaluable wisdom to help you move forward and you need to be adaptable where we have to understand where the elder generation may not have grown up in the age that we are accustomed to at the present so what we need to do is we need to also be adaptable be open give way don't just jump into criticizing or calling a elder generational leader as old fart or old man 
or you're just an old newspaper. Don't do that anymore because I think it's very important for us to be adaptable and to be open and to communicate. One of the things that my clients always tell me in this, these are major companies right here in Asia, they always say that their millennials now lack manners. They lack common courtesy. They want to bulldoze their way in their career. They want everything fast. Now, imagine if millennials here learn how to communicate tactfully, knowing how to show respect, how to give respect to the elder generation through the way they communicate, wait their turn to communicate their ideas. And lastly, the millennials themselves giving the right experience to the elder generation. You know, don't give the elder generation a tough time to work with you. Give them way. Look at them as a mentor. Look at them as a guiding figure, which is why I always say, again, I'll emphasize this again, David, and to all of you listening, I, I do not really want to use the word old or senior. I would rather use the word wiser, or in this case, elder, because wiser and elder gives the symbol that you are filled with knowledge, you're filled with experience, which we as millennials would need to learn to come to appreciate. So that's my, that's my thought on this matter. Because the example that you gave of this gentleman with the kidney challenge, yes. to, me, to me, it's illustrative of a lack of wisdom and a lack of discernment. And in my experience, that even though technology can be a tool for uh, faster access to information, there's a big difference between information and wisdom and discernment, which come from actual interaction with reality with a capital R. And so exactly. to me, that distinction, making that distinction explicit between virtual reality and reality with a capital R and how to maximize the synergy of the relationship between both of those, it, I am very excited about the idea of that topic becoming an explicit topic in education. Right. Right. And I agree. That is why, you know, David, just to share, there are actually initiatives out there that we're getting like retired veterans to actually become online mentors, where they actually mentor young people online, when these are veterans who have now plenty of time after their retirement, but they intend to give back. And oftentimes, the most needy millennial communities may not be in advanced economies like the United States, Australia, the UK. They may be in third world countries. So what happens is that you're getting all these senior veterans or senior executives who have retired to actually now offer their advice online. And when I talk about offering their advice online is that there has to be a platform that qualifies them. There has to be a platform that has screened them and has given them credibility in order to offer their advice or to be a virtual coach. Even though they're a virtual coach, they are a coach with real experiences from the ground. So I thought, you know, that idea that you just shared is actually very practical. Yes. And of course, the other part of it is that the younger people would have to have the humility to recognize that they have something to learn. Yes, that's true as well. That's true as well. And, you know, if you were a millennial or if just anyone from any generation, I'd like to share a quote from a mentor of mine. There's only one thing constant in the world. 
David, would you want to take a guess? What is that? What is that one constant thing in the world? It will never change. 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 Exactly. So I think, you know, again, it's very important for us to learn, unlearn, and relearn constantly because the world is forever changing. And I think as much as the millennials these days tend to want to think that we're the king of the mountain, where we're the king of the world, we set trends, which is true. However, we also have to know that a lot of the wisdom that lies in our past, wisdom that have been passed down by our forefathers, would often give a glimpse of the future of which we want to create. So that is what I would say related to this. Okay, so we have about 10 minutes left, and I want to make sure that we spend those 10 minutes in a way that is optimal for you. So how would you like to spend the time we have left? Well, thank you, David, and thank you to all of you listening to this right now. I'm very touched indeed that you have uh, listening up until this point. When I got into this conversation with David, again, thank you for inviting me here. I just really want to give you 110% of everything I have and everything I've gone through. So I promised you earlier in my sharing session that I was going to talk about a book that I co-authored called The Potential Matrix. So The Potential Matrix is a global project that 16 millennials like myself started in the year 2012. We dedicated four years of our lives to interview the world's most high-achieving millennials, to understand what makes them tick, to understand what are the strategies that they have used to actually accelerate their growth, to accelerate and grow their contributions to themselves, to their society and the world. So in The Potential Matrix, it is a book that would profile the most outstanding people below the age of 40. These are people who are either your most famous young entrepreneurs, they are your top executives, they are your young politicians, they are your young celebrities. So we interviewed every one of them and instead of just sharing their motivational story to inspire you, what happened was we even created a model, which is why the book is called Potential Matrix. So the model that we have uh, copyright is called the Potential Matrix. Now, the Potential Matrix then will actually share with you some practical tools that you could use. Number one, to master your software. That is to master the mind, the heart, and your purpose, which we believe is extremely important. Now, after mastering your mind and your purpose, it's not enough. You have to then master your action. This is the time where we interviewed all these high-achieving millennials around the world. We actually got them to share their secrets of what tools, what technology apps, what platforms did they use to actually become a better speaker, to actually become a better entrepreneur, to actually become a better leader in the society. So these are all very practical actions which they can use. Now, we would then lead on to the third part of our book, that is impact. Because another wise mentor of mine shared with me what gets measured, gets done. So I understand that a lot of contributions from people, especially from the millennials, can rather be intangible. However, one of the things we found out is that these high-achieving millennials kept growing because they have found a way on how to measure their impact. They have found a way how to measure their growth in their self-development, the growth in their impact or contribution to their stakeholders, these are people around them who have an interest in their success or their progress. 
and to measure their impact to the world as a whole. And we thought it does, it's, it's the entire package. We program your mind to make you the best talent you can possibly be. We give you the tools that these best talents have used. And then we give you the measurement of how these best talents with these best contributions and impact have actually created and how they have measured them. So we have created this book. We are very proud to launch it around the world. And we would really encourage and we are really thankful if there is any of you who would want to support our project. You know, you could even get this book for your children, for your students, for your colleagues. It's very important. It's fully colored and it's very exciting. It's very fun. It's filled with infographics, as we believe, the millennials' way of reading. And you could find out more information on www.potentialmatrix.com. www.potentialmatrix.com. And that's also one of the ways on how you could actually see the fruits of our research. Now, that's all about my book, David. And I really want to thank you, all of you, for listening to this sharing session. And to just sum it up, sum it all up. I was very fortunate to grow up in a family despite not owning all the riches in the world, but they gave me a lot of values. Values that I thought would live within me for the rest of my life and values that transcend across generations. Values of respect, values of appreciation towards education and people, the value of us creating up our own opportunities to create a better impact to the world. The value of always showing respect, showing, being open to people of different generations and to see the positive light of different people, different human beings, different generations. That would be the message that I want to leave you with. Beautiful. I have a couple of questions before we close it out. Sure. Number one is, have you considered uh, also creating an audio book of your book? Because if so much of your book is in the form of interviews, I thought an audio book might bring that to life. Oh, fantastic, David. If I may, I can answer this question right now. Yes. If you go on to www.potentialmatrix.com, you will find that we will provide you with the audiobook as well. And the audiobook will be read by my beautiful fiance herself, who is also a millennial and my business partner. <laughs> so you could see how I'm married to my business as well, indirectly. But my fiance will be the voice that will be reading the book for you. So, yes, there will be an audiobook. In fact, uh, if you go to the website, we have provided a very special bundle where there are a lot of bonuses inside that includes a cheat sheet where for those of you who find that after you read the book, you know, you want to quickly implement the strategies that we share with you, there's actually a goal setting form. There's a cheat sheet, we call it, that will actually help you map out your plans for the rest of the year. And we even have a guarantee that uh, if you follow the steps in the book and if you map out your goals and you put in the effort, you would be able to change your life in 90 days. So that's something that we're very passionate about. That's something that we have actually experimented with a group of people right here. So, yes, there will be an audiobook and a lot more bonuses. Do you know when the audiobook will be available? The audiobook will be available around 
give or take September of October. So for those of you who actually support us by getting a copy of the book on our website, what happens is that you will get the digital book, you will also get the physical book. We will actually deliver it to you, all right, based on the packages that you actually support us with. Now the audio book, once it's ready, it will actually be sent to you. And then immediately you can sit back, relax, and enjoy the content being read to you. And just to share with you a little bit, David, and to all of you listening, I've just got a uh, tip from my fiance that if you tune into the audiobook, there are also some bonus content. So she is not only reading word by word from the book because that's going to be quite boring, she has added some additional content to help you master the content, the strategies, and the ideas that we have for you. So we are very excited about that. And finally, what is the best contact point for people who would like to communicate with you directly? Wow. Okay. Well, first and foremost, I think, you know, if you want to support our book, we'll really appreciate it. Just go to potentialmatrix.com. For me personally, you could actually check me out at www.michaelteo.com. So that's M-I-C-H-A-E-L. T-E-O-H.com. So there's a contact form right there. Just fill it up. It will send an email straight to my inbox and I'll be able to communicate with you. I'm on Facebook as well. So check me out on Facebook. I actually do nightly recordings of videos sharing tips on how you could improve your productivity. How could you get closer to your goals? And how do you work with millennials? And you could find me on Twitter on the same name and Instagram. And I look forward to connecting with you. And if you want to connect with me as well, you know, watch out for David's audios, podcasts, you know, because I'm pretty sure that I would really love to bring this friendship that we have to the next level where I'd love to share more content with your tribe and your community. With your permission, of course, David. I mean, I really enjoy my time today. I would uh, be honored to, uh, to continue participating and empowering you and your work, and uh, I'm also open to your contributions to helping me get my work out there more fully. Let me leave the last word to you today. Is there anything that you would like to say in closing? I would say the one last thing that I have to share is that philosophy that has guided me for the rest of my life. Never wait for opportunities, but instead create opportunities. It's a lot more exciting. It's a lot more fun when you're able to see your very existence in our world is giving tremendous value to the lives of others as well. Thank you, David. And thank you, everybody. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. You've been listening to another edition of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul, where we do in-depth interviews with individuals that are doing cutting-edge work in the areas of healing, spirituality, and social transformation. Today, we've been speaking with Michael Teo, a young man, 29-year-old gentleman who is absolutely committed to empowering millennials and to the uh, intergenerational relationships that involve millennials and other generations as well. So with that, we'll close with love and peace. Bye for now. For joining us for today's episode of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. To access all episodes, including show notes, 
go to CuttingEdgeDoc.com. That's CuttingEdgeDoc.com. Lastly, if you love today's show, you can support Dr. David, his work, and the show by going over to iTunes and giving a five-star rating and a heartfelt comment. Thank you again for joining us today and for your commitment to freeing the body, freeing the soul.